0: I didn't realise what was going on in his life and we're like best friends, That that's not right. Only now do I see, well this this is obvious, how can I not see that and I'm with him all the time. I got a few guys together and, and said, lads, let's have a chat about the experiences that you've had, why wouldn't you come forward? What are the problems that you were facing? Did you even know that it was an issue in the first place? You know.
1: Welcome to the Healthy Beast, Mo Morris, Mental Health Resilience Lead
0: for the Royal Marines. You're still serving as a Royal Marine, right? Yeah, so I'm down, I work down at the Commando Training Centre down at Limston. It's near Exeter. I have recently assumed a job down there, cohering all mental health and resilience. So everything that isn't treatment in, within the Royal Marines falls on my, on my door, basically. Our organization is very much a fixed organization so and we're we're fairly competent at that. We're like well, I use the word competent because we we are good at what we do but there's always room for more and always room to keep thriving. But the bit that we're not too great at is the prevention of physiological or psychological injury or ill health. And so that's what I'm I've been brought in to look at the psychological side of life to cohere that to make sure that it all makes sense and it and it runs in a project that the user the lads can understand so there's basically
1: anyone who's and anyone who's a raw marine who's has mental health difficulties
0: that's part of it if we looked at the i think the latest stats was 2.1 of all raw marines last year were diagnosed with a mental ill or mental illness we are very much focused And we spend a lot of time and resource and rightly so in that particular area in the 2.1%. But the other 97.9%, we don't focus on our attention in that in the same way we do with the 2.1%. So we very much look at fixing people that are or or treating people that might have a mental mental illness. But what if you haven't, we want to just make you better anyway. So the implementation of psychological skills anyway, just to make you a better Marine. So you're at. You, there's nothing perceptually wrong with you, but we just want to make you a better, better marine anyway, and that's that's an area that is really untapped in our organisation, and that's what we've been getting after for the last sort of twelve to eighteen months. So this so
1: this small percentage of people that have had large percentage. We, we won't we won't get stuck on the maths, but there's a large percentage that don't have problems. Is is this? Are you basically thinking that there are probably lots of problems beneath the surface, and your your job is
0: to get to them before they become problems is that what you're... yeah i mean it's sort of yeah i mean there will be an element of that but more to do with like life just happens and you know even the other week i don't know if you had it but you know when you get that that real pain in the front of your face where you've just been running highly stressed for weeks and you then start can't you can't really think and you just sort of sit on the sofa and sort of veg because you just your body's almost like fried a little bit so you know on the on the on the edge of burnout that's just life it's not even about being a marine it's just just life well at the moment any intervention or any education delivery is about what about the bit where that then becomes sustained and i then can't function but actually what we want is to give people like me or whoever else the tools to recognize that you're on the cusp and be able, the psychological skills to be able to bring you back, but moreover, just improve anyway, just to be better. So it, sound, it sounds a little bit far-fetched for rafety Tufty Marines, but I've used it before where I've been in meetings, and you know when that sort of like blood starts coming up and you're getting angry with what someone's saying, performing a grounding technique or breathing, breathing control um, and regulating your breathing in that meeting, it brings you back down again. So you can perform in that meeting. So it doesn't mean that I've got a illness. It just means that I'm regulating my emotion to be able to perform in, in, in a in a in a very simple scenario such as a meeting. But then you can then escalate that for operations, which it will be transferable to, and that's something that we're looking at at the moment. Oh, so you want so you want to give everyone these skills, basically. Absolutely, absolutely yeah. So absolutely. So that that that's
1: a very good example you've given because everyone can relate to that on some level. I don't think there's anyone wouldn't have at least know what this feels like that that rising anger that you talked about what what kind of what kind of techniques do you give people to you you mentioned
0: breathing what yeah well I mean the first thing is to know that it happens so you you you, we're 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 at the same similar sort of stage of the game in terms of our life cycle the, the power of us but when you're in your early 20s that anger sort of comes out a little bit more often than you may like it to through many reasons certainly in men high testosterone levels being in male-dominated environments you know it's it's just the way that it is and so and half the time certainly in my in my younger days I mean I'm 39 so I'm not old old but I'm not far far off donning a set of uh, lycra and cycling (laughs) rounds being being part of the mammal group but certainly um you don't realize it's happening. You don't realize that that temperature rises and like the chimp inside of you is, is, is now like interested in, in something that you shouldn't be interested in. And more often than not, that would maybe get me in trouble when I, was, when I didn't know that was happening and moreover didn't know how to control it properly and then would then hinder my performance. So we're just trying to teach people real basics to be able to do that, to be better than they, than they would have been had they not, uh, not have controlled that emotion, for instance. And so things that self-awareness training, understanding the physical signs of of stress, or understanding the physical signs of when when the chimp starts like coming out of its uh, its little snug and saying, right, well, do I need to get involved in this? And you're like, no, 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 you go back to sleep, I've got this, um, rather than it taking over. So yeah, you know, if you understand that, you might start sweating or your or your or your heartbeat starts increasing. If you didn't know to look for it, you wouldn't. And I always run off a really interesting saying that. You don't know what you don't know. And it sounds a bit stupid to say, but if you don't know that uh, to look for it, then you never would. And that's what we're doing. Uh, just trying to teach the guys 90% of the basics that we just want them to do 90% of the basics well. And that is really sort of trying to make it simple con- concepts. So,
1: so the first thing in that in that case is just so recognising that the anger is a thing in itself. So it's not like you get the feeling and it's, you don't need to do something about it. What you need to do is, Kind of take a step back, recognise that it's happening?
0: Yeah, because, I mean, we are, we are by and large, quite primitive creatures. And, you know, I say back in the day, you know, centuries ago when we would roam the planet um, looking for food and living in caves, we would respond to a fight, flight, freeze. And the reason why we were built like that was because it was survival. We either stood and fought when there was a threat or we would, we would run away to live to fight another day, you know, again, uh, another tribe or it might be, against um, predators, um, natural predators. That still happens now, but we don't have natural predators and necessarily other tribes that we need to fight against to survive. So, But that manifests itself in a slightly different way now because what you might see, what might trigger that fight or flight response, which is a natural human reaction, might be a social media post. It could be a meeting that you're sat in on Zoom. It's not an animal or someone with a spear that's ready to take your life. So it's under, and so we wouldn't necessarily understand and relate to the same stimulus as we used to many, many years ago. So what we're just trying to do is teach the teach the guys that that still happens, and it's all right to be angry as well. We're not saying it's not, but sometimes it's not all right to be angry, and other times it's good to let your anger out. And so, but more often than not, what I found personally is that when I was younger, my anger would come out when I didn't really want it to come out. And that's and that's something that um we yeah, we we think we can have a real real effect on. And you can start managing your 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 emotion and some and have some more mental control, then I think that we'll be in a better place, not necessarily even to prevent mental health, just to be better Marines and we can deploy operationally with, with better equipped soldiers.
1: So I presume when when you were a younger Marine, this you didn't have this kind of thing. No,
0: no, no, definitely not. I mean, you would have, you would have seen. So, you know, the words mental health existed, but they didn't. It's not like it is now. I've worked in mental health for for it for like the last ten years. You know, everyone now talks mental health and mental health this, mental health that, and everyone's a, everyone's an expert as well. I'm not a clinician. I'm not saying that I am, and I and I don't don't necessarily promote myself as an expert either. I know what I know, but I've been around it enough to have experience whereby I think now it's becoming a little bit saturated and what I'm, what do I mean by that mental mental health is absolutely vitally important but we sort of use that term I think a little bit um we don't use it correctly we use it with a negative connotation now so mental health what really people what people really mean is ill health or illness no we, we never really talk about mental fitness never really talk about that side of what mental health is and we use it as a more of a negative oh there's mental health problems or yeah they've got they've got some mental health issues going on it's always negative it's almost like he's
1: he you know he's got mental health I mean he's got some problems whereas it's a thing really we all have and need to work on it like we work on our physical health I think I'd thought that because we're talking about it more that would overall overall be a good thing but uh possibly yeah you, it's it's become a thing that's oh that's only thought of as the bad side yeah
0: don't get me wrong I do think it's a good thing and I if I if I haven't explained that then apologies I do think it's a good thing absolutely I think people need to be more open about it and you know and it's if we're talking about men specifically for guys to talk about feelings and emotions it's like a real real big taboo to do that and even now and and you know just to be able to have a conversation with with a mucker that you trust and for them just to listen is just often enough and that's that's okay I think maybe what we've done is we've gone a bit, in some areas, we've gone too far with it as well. And it's almost become a buzzword to mean something that it wasn't originally meant to be. We, so that's why we're looking at, at work is trying to change the narrative and looking at the mental fitness side of life, which has absolute crossover into ill health. But what about the 97.9% of, of people that haven't got or didn't refer themselves for, for treatment? we need to invest in those people as well, just anyway. Um, So yeah, so that's, that's, that's kind of like what we're doing at work.
1: Do you think, do you think it might be that there's quite a few of them that maybe want treatment, need treatment, but they find it difficult for to come forward still, because I'm sure things have improved a lot, but it must still be difficult if you're in that, if you're serving, if you're, you know, you've got a tour coming up and you must feel, because you know, you're, from, from talking to a lot of you guys, you're constantly competing with each other, right? Quite rightly, when in, all the selection processes are very competitive. Quite rightly, and, and promotions and everything are competitive. So to to put your hand up and say, actually, I've got a problem, it must still be a big dilemma.
0: Yeah, and and there there will be guys. So that stat is a, is a very final stat that I mentioned. But actually, there are. It, it is difficult for people. Um, that's not necessarily a true representation of, of those that are actually suffering from mental ill health. And it is really important. The, the two areas that I see, not just in, in, the, in the Marines, but anyway, that, that chokes and suffers, uh, and people suffer from, just whether it's excelling in performance or whether it's putting the hand up to say, I'm not doing too great at the moment, is the, the fact that they might not have rapport with people like rapport for me is absolutely vital to being able to have a relationship with somebody in a professional or personal capacity for them to feel safe to talk to someone about something that might be going on rapport for me is if it underpins everything that about having a relationship with somebody you need to connect with people i'm not saying that you know a leader needs to invite his work workforce around his out their house for dinner but you need to have a, a good rapport with your staff or your colleagues for them to feel that they can open up and talk about stuff without perceiving that there will be prejudiced um, against them. And the other factor for me is the fear of failure. And the, the failure culture that we generically have is one that stifles progression because we we would do are we almost set up as a fixed mindset culture. And for those that are trying a growth mindset where failure absolutely is a is a it's a needed part of success, we might not then put our hands up when you're looking at mental health to say they might look like it might look like I'm failing. And and I think those two areas for me, there are others, but they're they're the two sort of key ones. If we can unlock those, improve those two situations, then I think that we would would start better conversations. I'll put
1: it to, um, put it to Sam Laird a uh, former. Royal Marines Commando, on a previous podcast. And uh, something else, something that someone else had said to me, that, and they said, you, you won't see the things that we see and not have problems. So he was saying that you, some people come forward, some don't, some are diagnosed with PTSD, some aren't. But this, yeah, it was put to me that that way by someone else. But if you, if you see the things we see,
0: you're going to have problems, whether it's diagnosed or not. Yeah, do you, think do you, think
1: I, a, do you think there's anything in that. Or?
0: I, I I do, but I don't think that that statement is an absolute statement that that applies to everybody. If you go to on operations, of course you're going to see things that people aren't going to see, that the the everyday person's not going to see. But that would I would say, so what you're exposed to in the military, comparably to the fire service or the ambulance crews, the, the Grenfell fire is something that I will never see. And the, but the firefighters that attended that scene will live with that forever. So that I, that is a true statement. But what we're what we see in the, in the Marines is more to do with, and maybe it's partly down to life uh, operational tempo has as reduced. So Afghanistan stopped. Is that we see more life stresses? You'll have it. You'll have it in your in your job where your role, comparable with 15 years ago, is night and day. So if you take the same role now and the same role 15 years ago and look at what the volume of that is expected of that individual, it's night and day, every day of the week, because we're now asking people to do more with less all the time. And I, I was with uh with a fairly significant corporate company, and I went to the annual leadership event and I was speaking with someone that was you know quite high up in the organization, and he said, You know, what what do you think? He said, like, how do we how do we look to improve our The mental health of our our employees. And then they've got like 15, 20,000 employees. And I said, Well, employ more staff. He said, Oh, we can't, but we can't do that. And I said, Well, that's my solution. People don't, you're not going to, you pay a really good wage at every level. Of course, people want more money, but they don't physically have the hours in the day to earn more money. What they want is the flexibility to be able to say, I'm going to come in, I'm going to come in tomorrow at 10 o'clock because I've got to take the kids to school and my other. They want flexibility in a day. But to do that, you need some more people. Yeah, but we can't afford it. But the, the gross annual, annual um, income was like billions. And I said, well, how, why can't you? And so for me, if you want to invest in people's mental health, it's about investing in people. And time, you know, time's quite important. People just want time and flexibility to, to, to deal with life because there's nothing more stressful than ha- like with, your, with your kids who your prized possession. You, they're the thing that makes a lot of people tick if you've got children, you know, as you, as you all know. If there's an issue with trying to sort your child out to get them to school or a club or whatever, it's quite stressful because you want to do, be the best parent that you can be, absolutely. And if you had a little bit of wriggle room, you wouldn't be as stressed and it wouldn't be a, as much of a problem especially when it comes to uh, your, your routines.
1: Thing thing is, Mo, you're, you're, you're not wrong. that All people can have stresses. But I, I, I asked you initially about um, the things people see in the military, you know, particularly, you know, Afghanistan and so forth, you know, the recent experiences. And um, you, you, you started talking about firefighters and then ended up talking about office workers. And I think, yeah, sure, there's going for a fire, you know, firefighters have seen some terrible things. For most for most people, they don't see they don't go through what the what serving military see and I suppose I suppose I think the reason why listening to people like you is so informative for the rest of us because I think highly trained military like the Royal Marines have a particularly good perspective, but it's from for good reasons because there's the training, all the stuff you go through, the selection, the, the what makes you elite, but there's also you know, the bad stuff you've had to go through now. You can it I guess it comes full circle because how you deal with the bad stuff you've had to see comes back to what the training you've been through. But I suppose I'm trying to get a sense of I don't know the fact that there seems to be there seems to be it's there seems to be no amount of training that can make you okay with going through. The stuff that you have to go through. So, I mean, it seems like it's very important work that that you're doing, trying to give people coping 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 mechanisms both before and afterwards. But you must have your work cut out in terms of the you know the pool of people you're having to deal with and what they've been through.
0: Yeah, it's um, you're never going to normalise what some of the situations on an operational tour. It will never be normal. It, it can't be. But at the same time. There is, and the reason why I use the breadth of of different employment ro- roles is that I don't see, and you know, I don't see the military as a special cohort. And that might be because I'm in it. It might be because I uh, might be overly humble. I don't know. I, like, but I don't see it as a special cohort because you're in it. I see that where mental health comes into into play specifically mental ill health there are there are there's an example being we are a hundred and i don't know one hundred sixty thousand strong maybe less than that I, i can't remember the last figures as a military but that's like 60 million people in the country it's a fraction of 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 the population so i suppose that's the context i'm looking at it from where although yes it is it is niche but there are there are equally amazing people that have got and I suppose what I'm getting at is that mental health is not one size fits all and just because I suppose just because we're in the military and we've been on ops, it's okay for us to be okay, uh, not okay. But because you're because you've just been at home and you've just been watching Netflix over lockdown, that it's not right for you because there's no reason for you to feel like like crap. And actually, no, that's not. I don't believe that's right. So I suppose where I'm coming from is that. For the last sort of eight, eight, nine years, I've been trying to equalise what we, what actually was a bit of a two-tiered system where you had the guys come back from ops, and rightly so, they would suffer from 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 exposure to things they've seen. But for me, that doesn't make it any more valid. What was happening is that that was becoming more valid than an individual who might have had some pre-joining exposures through his childhood that has resurfaced. That, it was becoming almost too tier going well have you been on ops? No well or, well you don't matter then because I've, I've been to Afghanistan and that's uh, to me that's not right to me it's the guy who might have had a had situations before joining is equally as valid as the guy that has gone to Afghanistan and witnessed potential horrors. They are different but they're equally as valid and I suppose that's where I'm um, the context I, I suppose I'm coming from. Now that that
1: that exactly makes sense and and you could you could extend that because you could say you've got those two tiers in the military those you have and haven't been on operations you could you could just say people who are and aren't in the military because what you're, you're saying is it's what you need is is compassion for people who ha- have have had different experiences to you
0: because can no, i give you an, sorry can i give you an example of that that course. might just sort of sell that so not sell it, but explain it a bit better. So there's an individual that helped me with the mental health project that I, I, we set up called Regain. And I just, by chance, he was in, i recently commissioned as an officer and I went to North Devon to the logistics regiment It was uh, an interesting time. Um, Not my preference, but hey, it's not the bane end of the Royal Marines, but vitally important, I must say. And this this chap was in my troop. I just thought that there was something not quite right with him. It was just probably the fact that he was like stabbing his desk with a knife and stuff like that, you know. But in the in the military circles and the Marines, it'd be like, oh yeah, but that's just what he does. It's normalised, and I'm like, that's not that's a bit weird, you know. That's fine. So anyway, the long story short was after after building rapport with the individual i asked him a question that wasn't the, re, anything to do with mental health he recently he had failed a an aptitude like a, a an assessment for a, a quite a tough course um, mountain leaders course and i pulled him off office i said oh how'd you get on on that i knew that he'd failed he said oh yeah i, I, I failed the course i said all oh, right i said oh why was that he said oh, i've got hernia i said okay i said what are you gonna do next he goes oh, i don't know i said I'm going to throw something out here. I said, and only because I used to be like this myself, I think that you've got a fear of failure and I don't know why. And he just sort of looked at me and I knew that I'd hooked into something here. And I said, you never used to have a fear of failure when you were one and learning to walk, you'd fall over and get back up again. Like, you know, that's, we sort of learn that as we, as we, as we get older. And he said, well, yeah, something did happen when I was, when I, when I was 15, 16, I said, well, whatever that was then, I think you probably need to deal with that because you can be an, exceptional raw marine but your potential is going to be is not being fulfilled because of this this thing that happened and i never sort of like directly asked next thing you know two hours later he's he's crying his eyes out and he's in, in in my office like talking to me about his mum who was um mentally like significantly and severely mentally unwell um, think um, I think it was schizophrenia. I think it's it was something like that. And, you know, I, I feel bad for not remembering. But basically, she he would wake up with on a couple of occasions with a knife at his throat where his mum didn't recognise him. But he lived his teenage years like that. He slept homeless. He OD'd twice before he joined the Marines and basically got to a crossroads before he joined where he either was going to try to OD again and maybe be successful, end up in prison, or join the Marines. So he's joined the Marines, because his friends said, you need, don't do the other two, like the obvious answer is, you know, go join the Marines. So he went and joined the Marines, and like sleeping out in the field, under a bit of plastic, was a gift for him, because he used to sleep rough. So he was like, he he was like a pig in shit, he was like, well this is amazing, like, you know, I, Maslow hierarchy of needs. I've got food, friends, pay, place to be. I'm told what to do. All the stuff that he never had. So roll forward a couple of years where he then got a hernia. He then realized that going for a run at two o'clock in the morning because he couldn't sleep was his learned behavior. That was normal to him. Now he's got a hernia. He can't do that running. He then then started getting th- suicidal thoughts again because he couldn't cope with his in- internal emotion and feeling and Bloody rightly so as well. So he comes to, I just so happens that in that conversation, at the end, he said, I'm glad that we've had this conversation because I was going to hang myself tomorrow. He'd already, and I'm like, wow. Anyway, he, I said, look, my suggestion is that you need to go, go for treatment. He was taken straight into treatment as a result, he is getting married. He's got another child on the way. He was promoted in work. You know, it was a real good success story. Now, not everyone ends up that way, admittedly, but he had nothing to do with ops. And so what I was really passionate about was there needs to be an equalization that his experience is just as valid as someone who went to Afghanistan and, saw, and seen that. And that kind of like puts the context as to where I was coming from about equality of mental health as opposed to tearing it. Do you
1: think you see a fairly fairly high number of people who are coming in because
0: they've got something to 100% mate. Wait, mate, we are a bunch of weirdos, we, 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 we do a weird job We recruit weird people, abnormal people, because you can't just go to a normal person and say, "Hey, have you ever thought about fixing a bayonet and sticking it in someone's chest?" You know, at the the extreme end of it, and they go, "Yeah, all the time." Like that's not something that people would do. Now, I'm not saying everyone that joins the Marines, we don't teach people to deliberately kill, but I've got to be a little bit quirky to be receptive to a way of life that is not normal. And so, yeah, absolutely. We're, like, we take the wastes and strays of life because that's the, that's what makes us the Royal Marines. That's what makes us who we are. And so when you speak to Sam, I'm sure that Sam's got a a, uh, a story about him. He's a little bit probably not, not the norm and we're all quirky in our own right, you know? Which Sam are you talking about? Well, both Sams, <laughs> you know? So uh I I
1: don't I, do, I didn't want to I didn't want to say I knew which one you are talking about from the from the description I wanted you to say it because we, we know we
0: know two Yeah I'm yeah just so, gonna say, I'm to yeah so yeah so both both Sams um Mark like any 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 raw marine that you meet is a little bit different. Not,
1: well, not I'll have bit- to say it as Sam's one. I'll say, well, because you've mentioned it. So, Sam, Sam Laird was just was previous podcast guest, and but all, we also talked about the other Sam, Sam Sheriff. Yeah, uh, this is well, maybe we should mention the ch- other charity that we both involved with, Reorg. Yeah, so this is this is also you know, Sam Sheriff, former Royal Marine, started um, started this charity which uses jiu-jitsu, but other things to help people with their mental and physical health. So, serving in former. Royal Marines, but but beyond that, firefighters and, and all sorts, journalists, anyone they can, they can uh, anyone I think needs help. So how did you get involved with them? Was jiu-jitsu something you did when you
0: were serving, but you're still serving? Yeah, so, so so me and Sam Sheriff, we go back a long way. So he was my, when I was a Marine, he was my section corporal in Norway uh, in 2004. So a section would be eight blokes, and you'd have one of those would be the, the junior commander, and that was Sam for me. So I I, I served at 4-2 commando with Sam. Um, and then our paths sort of split. And then we sort of bumped in through PT. We both did a PT course, but at different times. Um, and then we worked together. We'd move away. And that's how I, was, uh, how I know Sam. So I've known him for a long time. I did jiu-jitsu. I started doing jiu-jitsu when I was on the PT staff at Limston in like 2008, uh, 2007, about the same time Sam had started as well. We were rolling every day. It was all no-gi stuff. And and then just just didn't just stop doing it. And Sam obviously continued. And then I stopped doing it to the point until I met Sam like 18 months ago again. And you know what Sam, Sam can be like? He's very persuasive without being persuasive. He's got this way about him he says oh fancy a role and I was like nah mate I'm, I'm, I'm all right I'm all right thanks because you get to the point you know when you've been off the mat for so long you, you kind of like you get to a point where you're like a little bit scared about going back because you're thinking I'm just going to get beaten up again and I've and I earned my right not to be beaten up by everybody you know when you start you, you don't get beaten you get beaten up by most people instead of everybody and then it's that's the belt system isn't it and I was like "Nah, no nah, I I'm all right, thanks. And I'd almost like made it this thing that I just don't want to do it. And he said, come on, come on. I remember, he goes, anyway, so we go back on the mat and it was like learning to walk again. It was like embarrassing. It was so embarrassing. And and that was, but once I did it, I was like, oh, that's cool. I'm 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 alright now and that that was it and then he he got me back involved with jujitsu and uh yeah I'm forever grateful that he did because as you know it's an incredible sport and it and it provides me personally with an energy release a focus so you can be having the worst day in the world and that's my that's my thing that I do where I go on the mat and as soon as you step on the mat you have to forget about everything because someone has got you in a triangle, or they're choking you, or trying to get your arm, or so you're focusing on it. It's almost like um, a grounding technique in itself. So when grounding techniques were teaching people, if you're at height, for instance. You'd be and you you your body starts shaking naturally because you're scared. And grounding technique could be hold on to the metal bar, right? Tell me what the metal bar thinks. You're focusing on what your fingers are telling you. So it's it's it cuts everything else out. It's kind of like what jiu-jitsu does because you could be having a really bad day. But as soon as someone starts to go for a choke on your neck, you're focusing on defending your neck and nothing else matters. And it's kind of a very similar thing. And for me, that's like it's beautiful because it's uh, it just helps you release that stress. And you feel a million dollars afterwards, even if you feel like you've been in a washing machine for 90 minutes. You know, it's uh, it's it's, as you know, it's, it's fantastic. It's a
1: bit like back to that thing is we're, we're, that we're not very good at distinguishing as, as a as an animal. We're not very good at distinguishing between things that might kill us and, and a slightly annoying message from someone that doesn't matter at all. It's it gives you the same response when you do jujitsu and and you actually feel the air leaving your body and you're going to die. It it kind of makes it puts other things in context because you go like, oh oh actually if I don't stop if I don't stop this I will run out of breath. And suddenly, emails and stuff don't seem quite do you so know, important. Yeah. So you, can, know, you can deal with that later or not deal with it at all.
0: Yeah. And do you know, do you know what? Um, I'm six foot five, what, well, you know, about 17 and a half stone. And without jiu-jitsu, like, so, re- so when you're, when you're playing rugby, if you're quite big, you don't have to be that as good as someone as small, that small, because you, you can just barge people out the way. Doesn't quite work like that in jiu-jitsu because we've rolled together and, I can't do that to you because you're more skillful than me. Do you see what I mean? Like, whereas rugby doesn't, it does work like that. But not as not as it, it's it's slightly more aligned. If you have got mass, then you're then you're good to go. And I remember Sam. He says to me, "It's like eight o'clock at night," and he says to me, "Mate, um, do you, want, do you fancy a roll?" And I went, "Never turn down an opportunity to roll." Like that's my you know someone like, yeah okay let's do it. He said, "What do you want to work on?" I said, "Oh, my hip escapes, like my shrimping's not very good." He went, "Okay, I have never felt the way I felt on the bus on the way home when we were in London training. I felt broken." It was disgusting. I felt like I'd been violated. And I've, and honestly, and I felt like I just felt really crap that I just, like, I'd been beaten up and I wasn't who I was. And I just felt really down about myself. But the next day when I woke, woke up, it was like I was really happy that happened because you get a lot of, like, certainly bigger guys that walk around giving it the big one because their size does do quite a lot. It's quite intimidate. Some people's size are intimidating, and I don't want to be like that. And so what I'd went through with Sam, I mean, he said, oh, yeah, we'll do 10 minutes. It was 90 minutes, and I, and I felt like I was going to give up, and I hadn't felt like that since training. But what he did to me, without me knowing about it, it re-zeroed where I was and it keeps you humble. It keeps you progressing as well because we. I realised that for maybe two or three years I'd been quite comfortable thinking I was progressing, but you don't ever progress unless you get into that stretch zone. And I was nearly ready to, like, just through physical inadequacy just say sam i can't do anymore and give up and i've never been like that since training since my pt course where you're on the limits of what you like literally on the limits and i always remember that situation as uh, as quite a fundamental part of my jiu-jitsu journey because it's needed you need to go through that and then obviously then you know when you progress it's even more more um more satisfying because you have to do that sort of stuff
1: I think I think that that humbling aspects of it's very important because a lot of people particularly if you're if you're tough for some reason you know you're a soldier you're big or you've done other rugby or other martial arts or whatever people think they don't want to have to start at zero because they think they're already at this level but yeah it's this weird thing jiu you can't you can't really get away with it And yeah you end up you can't you can't you, get over it. But most people they, they they if if they have any problems with that from an ego point of view, they just leave and they don't come back. So and that's what get... I
0: love about it as well, because there is no egos. It's 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 a humbling environment, it's a really lovely environment to be in. I mean, so Tommy, um, obviously head head coach at Richmond, you know, I was luckily enough to lucky to roll with him. And he is probably half my size, I reckon. And, you know, like the, um, have you seen the acrobatics where they spin people on their feet, you know, and, and, and like, was it, um, yeah, it's, it's the, acro- anyway, that's what he was doing with me. And I was yeah. like spinning round and I'm thinking, how is he doing this? He's like half my size. And I'm like, I'm just scratching my head going. And he just sort of smiles and winks and walks off sort of thing. It's like, it's, it's, it's incredible. How, how, many, um, how many tours did you do, Mo? Uh, so I did three. So I did Northern Ireland when I first passed out. So 2002, I remember finishing training and I finished training on the Friday. On the Tuesday, I was on a plane to Northern Ireland to cross McGlen. And I did three months there. And then I went to Iraq in 2003 and then Afghanistan in 2008. Oh, so you're only 39 now. How, how, what age were you when you first? I was 19 when I finished training. Good child. Yeah. And you don't realize that you're a child until now when you see 19-year-olds. That's
1: the thing, this, this came up with, with, with Sam, Sam Led. I was talking about, you know, going off to Afghanistan and I, I was at Freshers' Week, you know, and you, yeah, you see, see people that age now, 18, 19-year-olds, children, and you think about going off to war-torn parts of the world and seeing terrible things. What, 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 when you cast your mind back to that child now, what do you think?
0: I, I don't know how, I don't know, I look back at when I was, I wasted my time. I wasted my time. Oh, I joined the Marines at 19, absolutely. But I i just, I pissed about too much. And it was, it was. When in, you're talking about in the, in the Royal just Marines. In, just in life. And in the, yeah, in the Marines, just in life. Like my focus and my drive and energy is so much more advanced than it ever has been. And I wish I never regret anything. But if I could change one thing and t- tell myself, My 18 year old self is don't waste time, focus and drive. And if you want to do something, then go and get, go and get after it. Don't wait to be told anything, commit to opportunity and don't be scared of failure. That's what I'd be telling myself. Whereas I don't, I just sort of like went along with things and I was like, yeah, I've done marine training and uh, it's great. And just let this, let the sort of natural evolution happen. I didn't have any, any, um, input into where I was going, what I was doing. I kind of look back on that a little bit and wish that I could maybe influence that a bit more. But on the other hand, it's like, well, I'm where I am now because that happened.
1: Isn't it hard? So it's interrupt. Isn't it hard to be in the Royal Marines? You know, you said you just pissed around. I mean, I'd, I'd have thought. I mean, if you if you want to talk about pissing around, I'd tell you what I was doing at 19. You know, I was at university where you had like what six hours of lectures a week. I mean, I'm I'm assuming being in the Royal Marines is is. It's a, so, a full-time job, well, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. But but you have to be a little, bit, a little bit stupid to join the Marines as well because it's it's like you have – so it is hard. It's really hard. But you kind of need to be a little bit, like, thick-skinned about it as well and go, well, okay, it, it is what it is. I'm just going to get up and next time I do PT, I might be throwing up again, but ah, that's all right. It's a bit of a weird mindset to adopt – so you have to be, you can't think too much about it. So you kind of have to, yeah. I and I think that because of that, maybe what it is is that you look back and I, I remember look, I remember sitting going home when I, I live from Kingston, and I remember going home on the Saturday, on the Friday night. It was we passed out, went home. And I sat on my bed and I looked, looked at my green berry that I'd I'd been focusing on for like three or four years, and I went, right, done that, and chucked it in the box. Right, what's what's next? What are we doing next? And it was just a really weird feeling. It's like, okay, well, that's done now. Now, now what what else are we doing? And I didn't really sort of live in the moment. I never really sort of took stock on what had happened. And I've got a friend who's just passed out literally passed out a few weeks ago. He's a friend of the, he's a friend of the family. And I said to him, my advice to you is don't ever forget what it's taken to do what you've just done. And I think I've forgotten because I never lived in the moment enough to make it a memory that, or oh, that, that, you know, that feeling you get when you you remember things going, you remember that time when it, yeah. And everyone starts laughing because you've got an emotion that's attached to that. And I don't think I ever had that when I finished training, it was just a thing to do, right. What's next is quite like cold. And I said to him, don't ever forget what it's taken to get to where you've got now and what you had to do, because you need to make sure you understand what it was to use that moving forward because otherwise you'll forget and you don't know why it was successful and how you got, got to be where you needed to be.
1: So was there a point later where you, you, you had a realization and you changed how you were something that maybe pushed you in the direction of doing the kind of mental health side of things?
0: So my friend so I, w- I used to work down at a place in Plymouth called Hasler which is a complex trauma uh, unit for want of a better description um, and so gunshot wounds, blast injuries, amputations that would come back from Afghanistan, they would be stabilized at Headley Court. And now that is uh, Stamford Hall in, in Birmingham. But Headley Court was at uh, Box Hill, just to the bottom of Box Hill. Once they stabilized there, they would then be moved out to, um, so if you were as a Marine, you'd go to Southwest and would would look after you. And I had a friend that called Phil Eaglesham who contracted Q fever from Afghanistan, which is a... They believe it is short for question fever, but they believe it was remnants of alleged biological weapons that were used by the Russians in the 80s that had mutated in the grounds because of a biological weapon. And basically when he went to Afghanistan, I think it was 2010, all he did was breathe in and it was porous in the air. And, it, and, it, and basically he came back from Afghanistan, like not feeling too great. They didn't know whether it was had the same effect of motor neurons. They didn't know whether it was the same effect as chronic fatigue. But basically, he ended up um, on crutches. He, his, his body started to close down on him. So he ended up at Hasler. And I went there as a PT. I used to do um, physical rehab with with guys. And we met there. And... He was slowly deteriorating. And as that was happening over a length of time, he became like my best friends. Like we went everywhere together. We just got on like really, really well. And I ended up helping him get involved with GB shooting. He then transferred to Ireland, qualified for the Paralympics in 2016. So I went as his carer to Rio to the Paralympic games in 2016, it was incredible. But two years before that, he I didn't realize what was going on in his life. And we're like best friends. And I'd go around his house and only now do I like sort of see, well, this, this is obvious. He would sit in his room, the curtain, his front room curtains would be shut in the corner and he'd say, oh yeah, it's the sunlight affects my eyes and we'd go, okay, cool. Actually, that was an excuse. He just wanted to be shut away from the world and I didn't see. I'd go around there every day. In 2014, I had a phone call from his wife, Julie, saying, you need to come up, you need to come up. She'd found on his iPad stuff like how long it takes takes the body to drown and researching into into drowning and she'd caught him on his way out to go to the local camp to drive into the pond to end his life because he was in a wheelchair he's an electric scooter by now and basically that was it it was done it that my family would be better off without me finance would be sorted because the the insurance would pay out um I, the boys wouldn't have me shouting at him all the time and I Julie would be better off without me and all that all that sort of stuff that you can you can imagine that that he was thinking and feeling and I didn't have any idea. His best mate I had no idea at all. So we went to work and we had a carers forum. So anyone that's involved in individual in the individual so it could be the doctor it would be the 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 welfare maybe the chaplain senior command the PT uh, there might be psychologists, anyone to, you know, basically to sort of talk about and discuss the best way forward. And I remember Phil and Julie were there, Scoobs and Julie were there, that's his nickname. And I watched Julie sobbing for about an hour and I watched Scoobs crying as he was talking about his experiences that I was involved with and had no idea that that would even been, been going on. He's my he's my best mate. So I'm like, right. That that's not right. How can I not see that? And I'm with him all the time. I just had no, and you come back to, you don't know what you don't know. So I got a few guys together and, and said, lads, let's have a chat about your, the experiences that you've had, not what's caused it, but just why, why wouldn't you come forward? What are the problems that you were facing? Did you even know that it was an issue in the first place? You know, and we, and we kind of went through that and I went straight to the senior naval psychiatrist and said, look, I've got an idea here. You know, it's a grassroots project. I think there's, there's probably a bit of a need for this. And he went, amazing. Yeah, okay, let's do it. He's really sort of visionary in his approach. Uh, Rick Coatesy, really, really good guy. And we sort of set this project up called Project Regain. And it was about trying to deliver. Everyone talks about delivering basic education and, and barriers to treatment and all that sort of, all the good verbiage. but. We wanted to deliver this education that would make it obvious to people to see it in their in their friends. So the presence of and I come back to the abnormal we recruit weirdos and ab- abnormal people. How do you spot abnormal behavior in a group of abnormal people? That was the point. So we kind of had to sort of recalibrate and say, well, we need to have a look at what normal might look like and then measure it against what abnormal is, because we want people to be abnormal in our organization. We want them to be able to be themselves. We want different colours, creeds, religions, genders, we, because that's what makes us the, the people that we are and the organisation we are. But it then becomes quite tricky to see. And so that's where we go back to. If you have good rapport with somebody, my rapport with him wasn't necessarily as good as it should have been. And the the telltale signs, and, and they are some are quite obvious. And he never felt he could talk to me because... He thought that I might view him differently and that's all, all that all that stuff that we know. And so we set off on this project and that was launched like three and a half years ago, Project Regain. And it was and it was exactly that. It was to reduce barriers to treatment, it's streamlining access to care. But the the important thing, it was grassroots, it's owned by the guys. They had an absolute direct investment into the content, the messaging, the the delivery of it. I never came up with a name they did, the image that we use the strap line when strength alone just isn't enough. That's what they used. So all of that. And, it, and so therefore it became credible and relevant. And yeah, and, we, and we've sort of like marched on that bearing ever since. But I, but having done that work myself, I fell foul of, of that as well. Um, and so my personal experience is that, you know, I, I completely burnt out like three years ago and had it not been for the project that I had set up, then I may not have gone to seek for help either. So it was a bit of a weird sort of. There's different levels to how it ended up playing out. It's like it was aimed at helping everybody else, but it actually helped me as well at my point of need, which was quite a, a strange sort of dynamic.
1: So, you, so you recognise the signs in yourself because you learned to recognise them in other people. Is that?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't recognise them initially. So basically, I there was one day. I just end up. I was. I ended up crying in my office and I had no idea I was tapping away doing what I was doing. I just broke down. and I, I didn't know what was going I didn't know why. And I probably cried for about an hour and a half, two hours, like, like genuinely that long. And I sort of got myself together. It was the day the project was launching. So I was presenting to the senior command about mental health. And I just had an absolute meltdown in the office. It was like so weird. So weird. I look back and I think to myself, well, someone must have planned that for a reason. I never saw the events leading up to that. The point at which that I was at no return, I saw, and then six weeks later, then I, I walked out of. I flew to Sydney for the Invictus Games, and I walked out of the closing ceremony because I started felt like I was having a panic attack and anxiety, and like that, that, you know, that uh, emotional control we we're talking about, and I couldn't control myself. My body started shaking, and I and I was thinking, God, what is going on with me? I started really worrying. That's when I then right, right, I need some help, and 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 got some treatment and it was it was the hardest but best thing I'd ever done in my life so I know it works because it's worked for me and I knew that there was a need because my best friend I missed it completely it's my best friend I missed it completely so if I missed it in my friend then other people may miss it in their friends as well because you don't know what you don't know so that's why we come back to we just want to deliver basic information and education and do that 90 percent of the time really well to make, to make a difference.
1: So when you realised that you had your own issues and were dealing with those, did part of you think, well, this, what do I know? <laughs> because I've got my own issues. But also, I guess the other side, you're thinking, well, I'm the best person because, you know, you're, you know, you're going to be...
0: It kind of forced my hand because I've always tried to live my life where if you talk the talk, you've got to walk the walk. So you can talk a good motivational talk, but you've got to be able to do it as well. You know, overcoming fear and challenges. If you if you keep saying things, you get you get these people on social media that will do this, but they, but they, we don't know if they're backing it up. And intrinsically, I, I need to be someone that that I can back up what I'm saying. And so I kind of like pressurize myself to go. You can't turn around to other people and tell them about the signs and symptoms that you are you're experiencing now, and not go for help because you're a hypocrite. So I kind of like like bullied myself into it to say I've got to do it and I've got to fess up to it as well because it would be hypocritical of me not to do that.
1: Yeah, no, I was yeah, I was thinking like so you said before. What would you? What kind of keeps you on the straight and narrow on a daily basis? Do you have kind of things you need to do? Do you you di- disciplined person?
0: I, I I find it really hard, and and I think you know you know when um my my Instagram page. Can't can will is a thing that I sort of come up with on the train on the way to do uh, fitness uh, mindset uh, delivery at Wit Fitness in London. And we're gonna talk about the commando mindset, the commando spirit, the 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 ethos, the values, and it's quite heavy. It's quite heavy when you talk about it, but it's really important to us, but it's quite heavy. Like I've had like nearly 19, 20 years of it, so you know it inside out. So I'm on the district line and I um, and I and I came up with this, right? What well, mindset okay, well. Can't I can I will? Right, that'll do. We'll go with that. And actually it turned out for a bit of a wing, it turned out to be really sort of applicable because I find that, you know, when you get up in the morning, and you just go, oh, can't be bothered to do PT. I just can't be asked. Come on, you can do it. Come on, you can do it. Like and you have to have that argument. It's that momentary argument that you have with yourself to go, come on, let's 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 do this. And then you will, you yeah, then you do it. But you never stay in will. Like you you always have to keep fighting and certain and it, it could be can't be bothered to go shopping now you only get a friday and you say should we just get a takeaway because you can't be bothered to cook but you know when you get the takeaway you eat it, anything i wish i didn't get that come on yeah you can cook so it's constantly and on a micro level or on a macro level When you come back to talking about my friend scoops is like i can't live anymore i can't do this on the planet anymore I can't be here anymore through a little bit more investment come on you can do it and then he ends up qualifying for the rio games two years later you know so it was quite uh, an easy transition, but for me, I find, I find it really difficult to be disciplined. Like to, I have to fight. I have to argue. It looks, maybe it might look to some like it is easy, but I don't find it easy. I have to argue with myself constantly about, come on, just get get your ass on that rowing machine. Or come on, you need to, you need to go and do this. Or come on, you and I constantly have to do it. I constantly have to fight for that. It's not a, uh, and I think, I don't believe that anyone finds it easy to do, to do th- to be disciplined i think you have to fight you have to earn the right to be disciplined but there's you've never always, an end state to it
1: yeah you've always got that bad voice everyone's got that bad voice oh yeah you don't need to go today don't do it today because ah uh, yeah because you could probably do the rest anyway
0: uh, yeah yeah exactly because it's
1: true sometimes but occasionally
0: you do need to rest but
1: it's the same voice so you but you
0: could yeah. but, but but if you're if you've planned your rest then that's okay, but it's when you haven't planned and you guys can't, I just can't like, come on, let's just, just, just keep it going, keep it going.
1: Yeah, you have to get get your kit ready the night before if it's early morning, because then you've then you've yeah, that's, that's that's the one for me. It's
0: it's tough, it's it's tough, tough. You know, you know, look at the, someone like David Goggins. I guarantee, like that that dude is unbelievable. Some of the stuff that that man's done is like off the Richter scale completely. I guarantee you, he will still have moments where he goes. I just can't, can't be bothered to do that in his mind. But he still does it because he's learned that pathway to do it. He will still have that little little person in his ear going, just have stay off. It's all right. Don't worry about it. Who's going to know? Oh, he's brilliant. He took. He,
1: I could still be the three hundred pounds and praying <laughs> for cockroaches. Stay hard
0: all times. <laughs> but yeah, he, but he he won't find it easy to be like that all the time. He will still have moments, maybe less than other people, because he's learned to learnt that that pathway to do stuff. He will still have moments where he, he will be like, ah, just, come on, just have today off. You'll be all right. And he's got to argue with himself to do it. He has to motivate himself to do that, definitely.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. But his point as well is that you tell yourself you're the person that does a certain thing. You're, you're the person that gets up in the morning and exercises. You, you
0: see yourself as that
1: person and stick to it.
0: Yeah, definitely. The only, the only, when it comes to the, what motivates me is that when it comes to doing anything... The person that is going to make it work or not is me. And so if I fail, I used to blame other people. Uh, it was, they didn't like me or, yeah, the bus was late or, yeah, I just didn't have enough time to prepare or all this sort of good stuff. But it's all right to fail, as in, it's, it's going to happen but now I know that if I do fail or don't hit the mark that I need to I go, right, what have I what did I do there? I need to have a look at myself now and how do I prepare better next time? What do I need to do to hit the mark that I that I'm trying to achieve? Right. I need to make sure I need to cut that out of my life now because that's taking too much energy from me. I need to focus on that revision or I need to go down the gym or if we've got a jiu-jitsu competition coming up, right? Well, I'm not just gonna turn up because if I lose, then it's what's the point in doing it? If you're gonna go and compete, you need to compete. Let's focus on on that. To do that, you have to make sacrifice, can't do everything. Um, and the sacrifice sometimes is getting up early. It might be not seeing family. It might be not seeing friends or going for that pint. You know, success, I'm not saying I'm successful, but success doesn't come easy. You have to, it comes with sacrifice, but you got to be willing to prepare to make the sacrifice because if you're not, then you're not, you're not going to achieve what you set out to achieve without, quite, you know, without question of a doubt yeah
1: damn right you mentioned um, can't cam will you've got
0: that's can't cam Will is your instagram
1: page and you can get you find your podcasts on that yeah as well. yeah
0: so yeah so as we sort of t- discussed at the start um i am I'm, I'm dead interested in this sort of stuff so i want to speak to people that you know probably from a breadth of 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 uh areas I want to speak to people that I've got difference of opinion. I want to learn from what that what they what they do, like coaches, athletes, um, not normal everyday people that that are amazing at, at some facet of their life. I want to see what motivates them because it's really really important. And I've learned so much from doing them as well. Speaking to people, I've learned so much.
1: Yes, yeah, brilliant. I really enjoyed. It. I enjoyed the one you did with uh, Magic Marine, the dude from um, Britain's. The guy did Britain's Got Talent yeah a good man goes by many names james scott james stott, isn't he? stott Ma- right, yeah yeah, yeah it's really, really interesting really interesting so now will mate i think we're out of time but so mo-, mo mo morris thank you very much
0: no you're welcome it's been it's been great talking to you i appreciate you having me on brilliant cheers
1: Thanks again to Mo Morris. His Instagram page is can't, can, will, can't, can, will. And you can, his podcast link is in there. Real that we talked about is reorgcharity.com Healthy Beast is healthybeastpodcast.com and it's at healthybeastpodcast on Instagram. Thank you very much for listening.